You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, November 27, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Sierra Moon Goldsmiths, family-owned, full-service goldsmith shop specializing in custom-designed jewelry. Open Wednesday through Saturday, noon to 4 p.m. in Old Town Auburn. Information and designs online at sierramoongoldsmiths.com. Well, coming up after we take a look at our local headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national headline news. Then we'll get some tips for dealing with depression during the holidays of 2020 with Nevada County Behavioral Health Director Phoebe Bell. This week's edition of World Ocean Radio looks at the effects the Federal Reserve has on our environment, and the Public News Service will update us on events in California and the rest of the country. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. The COVID-19 surge has now spread not only through major urban areas like Los Angeles, but across California and even to the far northern rural reaches of the state, a troubling sign as the state faces its greatest challenge from the pandemic yet. A Los Angeles Times data analysis found that most California counties are now suffering their worst coronavirus daily case rates of the entire COVID-19 pandemic surpassing even the summer surge that had forced officials to roll back the state's first reopening in the late spring. The data suggests California will face new problems in December if the unprecedented rise in cases continues. In earlier phases of the pandemic, different parts of California could help harder-hit areas, like San Diego County and San Francisco taking in patients from Imperial County. But that could be difficult in this wave, with the pandemic worsening in most places across California simultaneously. Analysis also demonstrates how the coronavirus has managed to break free from densely packaged neighborhoods into urban areas and farming communities in agricultural valleys where the virus infected essential workers, many of them Latino, who had no choice but to leave home to work. The union reports that Placer County Public Health has identified cases of coronavirus associated with Courtside Basketball Center at 1104 Tinker Road in the unincorporated area of Rockland. More than two dozen individuals from two other counties who participated in youth basketball tournaments at the facility on November 7th and 8th have confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis. Individuals who are at Courtside Basketball Center on November 7th or 8th may have been exposed to coronavirus and are advised to quarantine and seek testing for the virus, regardless of whether they have symptoms. Anyone who has attended a tournament at Courtside Basketball Center in November is encouraged to seek testing. Multiple individuals who were exposed on November 7th and 8th also participated in subsequent tournaments at the facility. Nevada County will not be posting updates to the COVID-19 dashboard until Monday. Hospitality House has announced that two community members have come forward to maximize help to those without a home. Through December 15th, all monetary donations made to Hospitality House will be matched by these individuals dollar for dollar up to $30,000. This means a $10 donation will automatically become $20, which is an example, can provide 40 people with personal protective equipment to stay safe and healthy. To take advantage of this generous match opportunity to help more people in need, donations can be made online at hhshelter.org or by phone at 530-615-0852 
or by mail at 1262 Sutton Way, Grass Valley, California, 95945. Donations are going to be doubled through December 15th. As far as Hospitality House's annual Night of Giving event, it will be a virtual event happening on December 19th, hosted by Mikhail Graham and Joanna Robinson. They will have new and old live performances for you to view and enjoy. Always go to hhshelter.org to help out Hospitality House and make a donation. Eric Clapton has joined Van Morrison in his crusade against lockdown measures meant to protect the public against COVID-19. Morrison has been writing songs that blast the government. He calls them fascist bullies for public health measures that have curtailed live music performances. And now Eric Clapton is joining him for a new single called Stand and Deliver. There are many of us who support Van and his endeavors to save live music. He is an inspiration, Clapton said. We must stand up and be counted because we need to find a way out of this mess. The alternative is not worth thinking about. Live music might never recover. Clapton is now being roasted on Twitter for his views. Two comedians have purchased and set up a website for Donald J. Trump 2024.com. The site largely mocks President Trump for losing the 2020 presidential election and refusing to concede. The website looks almost identical to Trump's actual website, which is DonaldJTrump.com, even using the same main image and font. However, the comedian's website calls Trump a loser six times and has a fictional quote from Trump stating, I lost the 2020 election. None of the website's buttons are linked to any other web pages, essentially making the site just a standalone page. The comedians, Jason Selvig and Darvram Stifler, who go by the good liars, established the website and wrote to Trump in a November 24th tweet, Hey, at real Donald Trump, we'll give you DonaldJTrump2024.com if you tweet, My name is Donald Trump and I lost the 2020 election by a lot. I am a loser. Sad. No response. No tweet from Trump yet. The weather forecast for Grass Valley, Nevada City, is calling for clear skies this evening with lows in the mid-40s. On Saturday, mainly sunny with highs near 60. Saturday night, clouding up overnight with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, partly sunny with highs around 60. In Sacramento, tonight clear skies with lows around freezing. On Saturday, sunny with highs in the mid-60s. Saturday night, mostly clear with lows around freezing. And on Sunday in the Sacramento region, mainly sunny with highs in the low 60s. In Truckee, tonight clear skies with lows in the mid-teens. Saturday, sunny with highs in the low 50s. Saturday night, a few clouds with lows in the mid-teens. And on Sunday in the Truckee area, partly sunny with highs in the upper 40s. In Angels Camp, tonight clear skies with lows in the mid-30s. Saturday, mainly sunny with highs in the mid-60s. Saturday night, clear with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday in the Angels Camp area, partly sunny with highs in the mid-60s. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Donald Trump is again pushing false claims the election was stolen from him. His baseless allegations on Twitter coming a day after he said he would leave office if the Electoral College votes for President-elect Joe Biden come out next month. NPR's Amy Held reports Trump is now saying that other conditions must be met, though. 
Trump tweeted, Biden can only enter the White House as president if he can prove that his votes were not fraudulently or illegally obtained. But it is Trump who again and again has failed to prove any kind of widespread fraud. His campaign has lost dozens of court cases challenging Biden's victories in key swing states. And by most accounts, this election was, in fact, one of the safest, most accurate in American history. Recounts and audits have found that if any discrepancies occurred, they were minor and mostly traceable to human error. The Electoral College stands ready to formally elect Joe Biden as the 46th president on December 14th. And Trump's legal path towards stopping it appears to be dead-ending. Amy Held, NPR News. Another attempt by the Trump administration to undo the results of the November election have failed, this time in Pennsylvania, where Trump's campaign had sought to block President-elect Biden from being declared the winner of its 20 electoral votes. Federal appeals court rejecting the appeal, citing a lack of evidence. Biden won Pennsylvania by 80,000 votes. A Trump campaign attorney on Twitter said the next step will be to appeal to the Supreme Court. The Belarus opposition leader says she plans to meet President-elect Biden as any government protests continue in that country. NPR's Lucien Kim reports the former Soviet Republic remains deeply divided after disputed presidential election in August. Belarusian opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya has big plans. She told the Belsat TV station she has already received an invitation to meet the next U.S. president. Tikhanovska was the main opposition challenger to Alexander Lukashenko, who has ruled Belarus for 26 years. After Lukashenko claimed a landslide victory, Tikhanovskaya was forced to flee Belarus amid growing protests. Tikhanovska has already met German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Emmanuel Macron. She said in the interview she's disappointed Russian President Vladimir Putin has backed Lukashenko's regime and that Putin now risks losing Belarusians' traditionally warm feelings toward Russia. Lucien Kim, NPR News, Moscow. It's not clear if the coronavirus pandemic has something to do with it, but demand for live Christmas trees seems to be up this year, with growers saying customers are showing up earlier than usual and there are more of them. With many Americans staying closer to home for the holidays this year, demand could be increasing, and since live trees are generally displayed outside, there would presumably be less risk of virus spread. An up end of the week on Wall Street, the Dow gained 37 points today. The Nasdaq was up 111 points. This is NPR. The World Health Organization says more work is needed to determine the effectiveness of the corona vaccine developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca. The company reported results this week showing the vaccine to be up to 90% effective in some trial participants, but only 62% effective in others, leaving questions about dosing yet to be resolved. WHO's chief scientist says more work needs to be done to determine the effectiveness with a larger group. Beginning next month, some passengers traveling from three U.S. airports to Italy may no longer be subjected to 14-day quarantines. NPR's Sylvia Pajoli reports Italy is set to approve experimental coronavirus-tested flights from the U.S. Pending official approval, passengers from New York, Newark, and Atlanta will no longer have to quarantine on arrival if they test negative for the coronavirus within 48 hours of departure and also upon arrival in Rome. The experiment involves Alitalia and Delta Airlines. The only passengers from the U.S. now allowed into Italy are EU citizens, their relatives, holders of Italian residence permits, and people coming for study or health reasons. All tourist travel from the U.S. remains banned. Delta's president, Steve Sear, said in a statement, carefully designed COVID-19 testing protocols are 
are the best path for resuming international travel safely and without quarantine until vaccinations are widely in place. Silvia Poggioli, NPR News, Rome. Oil markets gained for a fourth straight week amid optimism over a possible coronavirus vaccine. Oil was down slightly, 18 cents a barrel, but ended the week at 45.53 a barrel. This is NPR. This is the KVMR Evening News. We're talking with Phoebe Bell, the Behavioral Health Director for Nevada County. Thank you for joining us, Phoebe. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. You as well. Now that we've gotten past this one holiday, uh, sometimes a little more depression sinks in, maybe even on top of what we had before with all of the, the COVID and the election and the smoke from the summer and fires. And now here we are. We've, we've gotten through Thanksgiving. Christmas is around the corner. We're kind of locked down and, and it's getting cold out. We can't go out and do the things we normally need to do. People need to find a way still to be happy and have hope. Uh, what kind of granules of wisdom do you have for us today? <laughs> I hear you. It is a tough time. And, you know, we like to think of this time of year as sort of jolly, happy, positive time of year. And this year it's going to take a little more digging to to connect to that emotion, I think, for many of us, for all the reasons you just shared. Um, there's a lot going on that makes it harder to find the gratitude and joy right now. And yet, <laughs> there is still so much out there um, for us to be thankful of. And this time of year does help me often to reflect back on that as the year draws to a close, as the solstice approaches, as all the different holidays of this time of year happen. They are times also of remembering how much we do have and how, how lucky we are in so many ways. And yet, it's also really hard. It's really a tough time. I guess it's more of we're all kind of depressed and we have these anxieties, but it's trying to uh, just find find some light at the end of the tunnel or maybe just find some light up there right now. Totally. And I think it's, to some degree, keeping it simple for ourselves, it's we can't necessarily have the whole big picture we want right now. We can't have the house full of relatives or the holiday parties or whatever it might be. But on the flip side, we can dig into some of the smaller pieces of the season that make it joyful. Like for me, we have a holiday cookie recipe that has been in our family for years. That It's been a tradition that with my daughters and I to bake those cookies. And usually we have friends over and decorate them together, etc. So we can't do that this year, but maybe my daughters and I can still bake the cookies and find a way to drop them off on doorsteps or, you know, like how can you take those things that matter to you and um, make them work in this current setting and use them to keep connections going? Because at the end of the day, that connectivity is the lifeblood of all of us and doing that for ourselves and for our fellow community members um, right now thinking twice about how do we um, care for each other and connect to each other right now, I think is incredibly important. When I'm really down, sometimes just going out and doing something nice or kind for somebody else is the, is the whole answer for that problem. So maybe that could help somebody else too. If you're really having trouble at this point, uh, stop worrying about yourself for a second and look at somebody that might be even in a worse situation and see if there's something you can do to improve their life. Yeah, absolutely. This time of year, a lot of that does go on and it's a great time of year to um, tap into volunteer opportunities, food drives and gift-giving drives and things like that, or even just looking around your neighborhood and thinking about who lives alone and might feel extra lonely right now and what would it look like to drop a note on their doorstep or bake some cookies that you leave them or whatever it might be. The small acts of kindness 
are kind to that person in <laughs> receiving them, but also, as you're saying, kind to yourself because the act of, of giving and helps us feel more connected and reminds us of why we're here and what we want to be doing with our lives. Last week when we talked, uh, you gave us some phone numbers for some, uh, some helplines that uh, might be help. So we're going to put them on the website again with this podcast. Uh, you gave us one for California Warm Line. Uh, we'll put that number out also for Freed, uh, a place where seniors and people with disabilities can get some assistance. Uh, Spirit Peer Improvement Center um, is also another place. So we'll put those phone numbers up on our website for folks. Yeah, that's great. And um, let's talk NevadaCounty.org is a good website also right. to visit to um, get some tips on self care and connecting with others. As well as, I do want to say, I don't want to um, underplay how hard this time can be for people and to remind people that when the normal strategies for self care aren't working, when you no longer feel like you can connect with others or share with them how you're really feeling please remember that there's also professional resources out there and there's a time and place to access those and to reach out to crisis lines, go down to the hospital if you feel really unwell, if you feel like you might kill yourself or feeling suicidal in any way, it's really important to reach out. And maybe also uh, if you're looking at a friend and maybe worried about them, to pay a little more attention to your friends this time and see if maybe they need you to reach out to them. 100%. That's super important. We are the best safety net for each other <laughs> more than any professional resources is all of us in our lives thinking about those we know and love and interact with our friends our coworkers, our you know book group members whatever it might be just taking the extra time to actually check in with each other and see how everyone's doing can really make a big difference for people who are struggling we've been talking with phoebe bell the behavioral health director for nevada county we thank you for all your insight phoebe Yeah, thanks for um, making some space for this conversation. I think that it's easy to feel like we're the only ones having a hard time, and the reality is it is a hard time, and a lot of people are struggling with feeling alone, feeling anxious, and as much as we can remember we're in this together, that's what's going to get us through (laughs) into later, brighter days. All right, good advice. Thank you very much, Phoebe. Thank you. Welcome to World Ocean Radio. I'm Peter Neal, director of the World Ocean Observatory. Central banks play a key role in all finance policies and transactions in an integrated world economy. They stand apart from private capitalism, indeed serve as stimulus and control for the implementation of policy and legislation nationally, thus internationally in shifting forces of international finance. In the United States, the Federal Reserve System was created in 1935 to, quote, perform five general functions to promote the effective operation of the national economy and, more generally, the public interest. In concept, the system is independent, although its managers are appointed by the executive and confirmed by the Congress. It has 12 regional reserve banks that are quasi-independent with local oversight, aware of and sensitive to particular financial conditions and needs. It is not financed by legislative appropriation, but by interest on securities it acquires through open market operations and by depository functions such as check clearing, fund transfers, 
and automatic clearinghouse operations that cover costs and are thereafter transferred as surplus to the U.S. Treasury. The amounts are staggering. In 2015, net earnings paid by the system into the National Treasury surpassed $97.8 billion, augmented by another $19.3 billion specifically to fund the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act, one assumes to repair and build new, the deteriorating transportation infrastructure. So the Fed, as it is known, does a good deal more than coordinate financial policy set interest rates and clear transactions, and apparently could serve further by mission-directed investment in the public interests. The present situation is fraught by outside confusion and pandemic, but the system has nonetheless remained relatively independent and protective of its role as an instrument of stability in a time of extreme increase in the national debt, record unemployment, and economic distress in our COVID-damaged economy. Consider it a lighthouse a formidable aid to navigation in an ocean of chaos. But consider this. Banks and other large financial institutions, such as investment houses and pension funds, can invest those funds with intention, with responsible, profitable, and transformative direction. It is fair to say that to date they have not, staying the course with predictable lending and investments in conventional companies, the so-called Fortune 500, perpetuating documented environmental consequences and biodiversity destruction. That does not have to be. In fact, why should it not be fiduciarily responsible and profitable to do otherwise? In a recent brilliant report by Portfolio.Earth, Bankrolling Extinction, the Banking Sector's Role in the Global Biodiversity Crisis, the situation is starkly described. Quote, Environmental destruction can no longer be seen as an unfortunate byproduct of economic development, quite the reverse. Our abusive relationship with nature is contributing to a U.S. $4 trillion hole in our global economy, rising employment and social equality. Recent analysis suggests that COVID-19 has reversed the global development agenda back 25 years in just 25 weeks. If we protect nature, nature protects us. Most of the funding assessed, 66%, was related to activities that directly caused biodiversity loss, fishing and mining, for example. And 34% was invested in companies which indirectly drive biodiversity loss by driving demand along the supply chain from retail or processing and trading of commodities, such as construction, which creates demand for raw materials. Analysis of bank policies regarding biodiversity has shown not a single one of these banks has sufficient systems in place to measure, report, and radically reduce the environmental impact caused by its financial activities. Put simply, the banks are unwilling and have not prepared to tackle the biodiversity crisis. Other key findings of the bank assessed in this report include, on average, each of the 50 banks included in the research were linked to finance with biodiversity risk to the tune of $52 trillion. This ranges from more than $210 billion for the largest investor to $1.3 billion for the smallest. The top three of the ten banks with the largest exposure to biodiversity risks were headquartered in the USA, Bank of America, Citigroup, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Wells Fargo, another American bank, was the fifth largest investor in industry sectors with high biodiversity risks. All of these banks are members of the U.S. Federal Reserve. My questions are two. Why does any central bank enable investment that is proven so destructive to the inherent value of nature 
every nation's most precious asset. And is not the impact on the ocean by destructive fishing and mining and pollution and manufacture a series of determined, demonstrated negative consequences seriously antithetical to the public interest? We will discuss these issues and more in future editions of World Ocean Radio. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, November the 27th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. More than 50 advocacy organizations have sent a letter to Pennsylvania's congressional delegation urging immediate action on a new COVID relief package. Ten months into the COVID pandemic, more than 1.3 million Pennsylvania households report they are struggling to put food on the table, and half a million households have fallen behind in their rent. But according to Jeff Garris with the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center, many provisions of relief packages passed early this year, such as extended unemployment assistance and the moratorium on eviction, will expire if Congress doesn't act when they return from the Thanksgiving recess. We need to know that when people get to the holidays, they're not going to find themselves cut off from the vital aid that they need. So we are calling on our members of Congress and our senators, don't be the Grinch this year. The House passed the HEROES Act, an expanded relief bill in May, but so far the Senate has failed to pass a supplemental relief bill. I'm Andrea Sears reporting. A recent report from the Century Foundation found that without congressional action, 12 million people nationwide will lose federal health benefits December the 26th. Meantime, our Diane Bernard reports while high pollution often is found in black and brown communities, a new poll shows that many white Americans are not aware of the gap. In Virginia, the majority-minority area of Charles City County already is home to a landfill with plans to build two frack gas-fired power plants. Faith Harris with Virginia Interfaith Power and Light says many white Virginians don't know about the environmental struggles in the county because of segregation and lack of education. She says the power plants pose a perfect storm of pollution for a historically African-American community. This community is way overburdened with the air quality issues as well as possible water quality issues because of the pollution that would come from all of this concentrated industry. The national poll conducted by the Environmental Defense Fund shows that 60% of black respondents say they're very concerned about air pollution in their communities versus 32% of white respondents. I'm Diane Bernard. About 70% of black and Latino respondents say climate change is a major problem compared with 51% of white people a 14-point difference. The Guardian reports that President Donald Trump said he will leave the White House when the Electoral College votes for Democratic President-elect Joe Biden, the closest the outgoing president has come to conceding defeat. The Guardian notes that Biden won the presidential election with 306 Electoral College votes, many more than the 270 required to Trump's 232. Biden also leads Trump by more than 6 million in the popular vote tally. This is PNS. 2020 was a tough year in pushing voter turnout among North Dakota Native Americans because of the pandemic. The state didn't see as much activity in tribal areas as in other parts of the country. One group says the connections still were being made and has its eyes on future elections. Going into 2020, North Dakota Native Vote wanted to build on the higher turnout among Native populations the state saw in 2018. But early estimates indicate the number will be lower. 
However, the group's Nicole Donaghy says because of the adaptability of their field staff, their momentum isn't lost forever. We've made those connections and we were um, reinforcing our brand, getting you know North Dakota Native Vote out there again. And so people are, are certainly familiar with us and that can only help. Amid the election's final stages, COVID cases were spiking in North Dakota. The group did virtual training for canvassers on reservations to still reach voters. Donaghy says looking forward, they'll do more planning so they can deploy a variety of strategies based on the circumstances. The energy from Native voters in recent years is seen as important because of the state's voter ID requirements, which advocates say disenfranchises their people. I'm Mike Moen. COVID-19 has caused a big spike in poverty, and now California has the country's highest number of kids experiencing hunger, with 2.2 million living in food-insecure households, where at least one family member does not have enough to eat. Tamara Sandberg with the nonprofit Save the Children says the organization has partnered with rural school districts to distribute meals. California has seen the highest increase in the number of children living in food insecure households with over 860,000 more California kids experiencing hunger now compared with before the pandemic. I'm Suzanne Potter. Next Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. People who want to help can text the word PLATE to 20222 to make a one-time $10 donation. Finally, our Nadia Romlegan lets us know college students at Northern Kentucky University are participating in a program that allows them to give away thousands of dollars in grants to local nonprofits. Researchers found that among 500 students who took the philanthropy class when they were sophomores, 58% went on to graduate versus 24% overall. Kaisa Larson is an associate professor of Spanish and faculty coordinator for Mayerson Student Philanthropy Project classes at NKU. She says community engagement makes the topics studied in the classroom real and relevant. The incorporation of student philanthropy in a class makes students more engaged. We've not only seen that in our own students and our own classrooms, but the data also reflects that. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service. We are member and listener supported, heard on great radio stations across the nation and always online at publicnewsservice.org. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, online at carmensgarden.com. Well, coming up next, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Amy Goodman with Democracy Now! This is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Felton Pruitt. Have a wonderful weekend.